Well, God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today. And thanks so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there. So we bring that service to you wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. Thank you for coming. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Would you turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37? That's where we're going to be today. And we'll also put those verses up here for you in the video just to make it easier for you to follow along. I'd like to talk to you today about protected and directed. You know, now last week we were looking at Genesis chapter 36. And today we're finally turning that page from the life of Jacob, Jacob, as you would say in English, and going into the life of Yosef. That's how we say Joseph, Beavrit in Hebrew. We're going into the life of Yosef and that wonderful young Jewish man who God used to save the life of not just his brothers, but all of the Jewish people in his time. And we're going to see that no matter how things may look in your life, no matter what trials you may be going through, behind the scenes, God is working. He's hard at work to bless you, and not only to bless you, but also to bless those around you as well. In fact, we'll see today that throughout the Bible, starting in Genesis, God loves and cares for His people. No matter how hopeless the world around you may seem, if you belong to Him, He'll lead you and guide you. He's protecting you and directing you. You may not always recognize His presence there in your life, but time will always tell the story of His faithfulness later and His goodness. As you look in the rearview mirror of life, you'll see His fingerprints all over your life, doing things that you didn't notice at the time, but things to watch over you and plans to bring you out good on the other side of those trials. And that's the way it was throughout the life of His young son of Jacob named Joseph. The young son of Jacob, who was named Joseph, uh, is going through trials, you might say in this chapter, really severe trials, trials unlike any that you have ever seen. And after we speak once more briefly about Jacob's life in just two verses in this chapter, we're going to dive fully into the remarkable life of Joseph. And it's the beginning of an amazing story that will take us from where we are today in Genesis all the way to the end of the book of Genesis. That's right, over the next few weeks, we're going to be traveling all the way through the end of the first book of the Torah, Hasefer Bereshit, Hasefer, the book Bereshit of beginnings. And so let's get started in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 37. And it says in verse 1, Now Yaakov dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. And this is the history of Yaakov. Now, two verses we've just read, but we need to talk. We are turning the page on the life of Yaakov. And this is the last time that he's mentioned now, really, in, in this chapter to where he is the focus of our study. Jacob's name will be mentioned here and there throughout the rest of the book of Genesis, but he's no longer the focus of our studies. It's switching now to his young son, Joseph. Bevrit Yosef. 
In Hebrew, Yosef. That's how we say it. And as we said earlier, we've been studying the life of Yaakov for the last few weeks. And later, toward the end of Genesis, we're going to see Yaakov again. But by that time, he'll be a very old man. But now, with these first two verses in chapter 37, we're completing our focus on Yaakov's life. And we're going to begin to look at his young son, Joseph, all the way to the book of, end of the book of Genesis. But before we leave Yaakov and go on to Joseph, I'd like to show you something kind of hidden in these first two verses of chapter 37. Notice that it says in the first two verses that Yaakov's father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. Okay, well, what's so special about that, Pastor Stephen? Well, just this. As you remember, Yaakov's father was Itzhak, Isaac, as you would say in English. And God had spoken to Itzhak and confirmed the promises that he had made to Itzhak's father, Abraham. Abraham about how their seed would be given that land that they were a stranger in. And technically that word was sojourning in, that land that they were sojourning in. And again, today we see that word in these opening verses in chapter 37, stranger. But maybe you don't see the word uh, sojourner in your translation of the Bible. In fact, some translations may use the word stranger, and that's okay, because they both mean the same thing. And that word stranger, literally in the Bible, is sojourner. And sojourner means that he's someone from another place. He's not really a citizen of that land. Well, as you recall, the stories that we read in the past few chapters of Yaakov and even Abraham, they were sojourners in the land because they weren't really citizens of that land. They were strangers. They were foreigners in that land. Now, as we read through the Word of God, we find that that's how God wants us to think of ourselves. He wants us to consider ourselves to be outsiders, someone whose home is somewhere else. In other words, God wants us to think of ourselves as sojourners in this life. A sojourner in this life is someone who's not really a citizen of this world, but a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And that's how God wants us to think of ourselves. You see, when you think of yourself as a citizen of God's kingdom, instead of as a citizen of the world, it changes your whole outlook on life. You no longer view your life as just a few short years on earth, but as a life that is everlasting in heaven with God, with angels with wonders that you cannot even imagine now in your life now. But when you see yourself as a child of God instead of as a citizen of the world, you long to enjoy the wonderful benefits of heaven and being home, home with your heavenly Father there in this remarkable, beautiful, unimaginably beautiful kingdom. There's no more pain in heaven. There's no more dying in God's kingdom. You're enjoying everlasting life. You don't get sick. You don't get tired. And God's kingdom is beautiful beyond all imagination. Out of all the beautiful things that you can imagine, heaven is more beautiful, better, far better. And again, life is everlasting in God's kingdom. Nothing to dislike about that. That's all beautiful. That's what you want to, that's where you want to be. And that's what you start thinking of and you treating yourself 
when you're a sojourner in the world. You're not part of the world. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. So stop cheating yourself by thinking that you're just another citizen of the world and that you're somehow just another animal on the earth. No, you're a child of God, created in the image of God, saved by the precious blood of the Son of God, who is the atonement for our sins to all who believe on Him. And as God said by Sefer Shemot, the book of Exodus chapter 12, in describing Pesach, or the Passover, when he sees the blood on the doorpost of your heart, he will pass over you in judgment. When he sees the blood of his blemish-free Lamb of God, just like spoken of in Passover, when he sees the blood of his Son, the blemish-free, sinless Lamb of God, on the doorpost of your house, he will pass over you in judgment. That's his promise. That's the promise of Pesach. That's the promise of Passover. And that, my Jewish brother and sister, is why it's called Pesach. That's why it's called Passover. Because God himself said, when I see the blood of that blemish-free lamb on the doorpost of your house, I will pass over that house in judgment. You see, it's all about the blood of the Kippur, about the atonement, about the blemish-free lamb of God. And the one who takes away sins of the world, the sins of all mankind to all who believe on him, is not just a lamb to take away those sins for a year, but is the lamb of God, the son of God, who gave his life perfect without sin once for all time. To all who believe on him, they have everlasting life. If you're Jewish now, you have to ask yourself a question. What are you doing about atonement? What are you doing about forgiveness of your sins. And you say, well, we can't do that anymore because the temple isn't standing and half of the law had to do with the keeping of the ordinances of the temple. Biduk. Of course, that's right. That's what I'm saying, bivrit in Hebrew. It, that's, it had to do with the temple, but now the temple's no longer standing. What are you doing about your sins? Where's the blood sacrifice? The blood sacrifice had to be made in the temple, Be'erushalayim, in Jerusalem. What are you doing about your sins? It's no longer standing. You say, well, we call our prayers, uh, all those times a day, we call our prayers of the, uh, with the same names of the sacrifices that we used to have in the temple. Okay, well, that's a fun idea that you came up with, but that's not what God told you to do. He told you to make your sacrifices in the temple temple's no longer standing. Did God forget? No, he didn't forget. Did God lie to you about the temple? No, he didn't lie to you about the temple. Well, why did he tell you then that you needed the blood of the lamb for the sacrifices for your sins? There's only one other answer, my Jewish brother and sister, is that the Messiah came already and we missed it. We missed it. We didn't see him there teaching in the temple. But yet, what was happening right before 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed? Jesus, the Messiah, was teaching in the temple daily as his custom was, teaching the people about the kingdom of God. He did this, and then right outside those walls, he gave his life on the cross of Calvary to take away the sins of mankind to all who would believe on him. The blood of the perfect, 
blemish-free lamb of God, the son of God, the sinless son of God, because God himself became a man and kept the law at all times so that he would qualify to be the perfect once and for all forever sacrifice for everyone who believed on him. You think of yourself as a sojourner, a foreigner, someone who's just passing through on your way to a far, far better place because of the work that the Lamb of God did on the cross on your behalf. And now your sins are forgiven forever, and so you will be allowed to enter into the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God, where there is no sin allowed to enter. Your sins are all covered, so you will be allowed to enter, and God will give you everlasting life in His presence. Now let's read on and let's begin the life of Joseph. Let's read from verse 2. It says, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. Remember, in addition to Leah and Rachel, Rachel, that they each had a handmaid. Bilhah and Zilpah were handmaids of the wives Leah and Rachel his father's wives, and all four he had children with. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. It says in verse 2, Now Israel, which was also Yaakov's name, remember God changed his name from Yaakov to Israel. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than all of his children, because he was a son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic, or a coat, if you will, of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved Joseph more than all of his brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peaceably to him. So let's talk about these first few verses now that we're seeing now in verse 2, 3, and 4. We see that Joseph, I'm sorry, is loved by Jacob more than all of his other brothers. Jacob had 12 sons. And Benjamin was younger than Joseph, and he was also a son of Rachel. But Joseph was the first son of Rachel. Yeah, there was some favoritism toward Joseph. We shouldn't have favoritism for the children, as we know, you know, but sometimes it happens. And in this case, with four wives, it was a little bit inevitable, you see. <laughs> it's good just to have one wife, you see. And so that's what we're seeing in these verses today. There's favoritism of Jacob, or Israel, toward Joseph, one of his two youngest sons. There was favoritism, and as the verses say, because Joseph was a son of Jacob's old age. But there were other reasons as well that we need to talk about. Remember that Rachel, Rachel, was the wife that Yaakov, Jacob, really wanted. She was the one that he had worked for for seven years, remember? And it said, come on, ladies, remember now? It said, and those seven years only seemed like a few days to him because he was so in love with her. This is where all the girls go, aww. And this is where all the guys go, oh, just rolls their lives. But anyway, Laban, who was Rachel's father, after those seven years gave Yaakov Rachel's sister, Leah, instead. He sneaked her in at night, and Yaakov had thought that it was going to be Rachel. But when he woke up in the morning, I like, I like the way the scripture said it, he says, behold, it was Leah, not Rachel. 
<laughs> oh no, what happened last night? What did we do? You were supposed to be Rachel. Where's your sister? So Yaakov worked seven more years for Laban. Laban had just tricked him into working seven additional years for free just to get Rachel as a wife. But he originally worked the original seven years for Rachel to be his wife, but Laban tricked him. So he loved Rachel so much, he worked seven more years to get her. In the meantime, he honored his marriage to Leah, even though it was a deception that Laban had given him the wrong girl to marry, the wrong woman to marry. It was a deception, but yet Yaakov didn't want to break Leah's heart, and so he kept her as his wife. He did the honorable thing. There's a lesson for that in today's culture, isn't that, guys? If you do the wrong thing, if you make a mistake for whatever reason, if you know people are out, they're partying, they do something, maybe they're not in control of their senses, people have had too much to drink, which <laughs> almost anything is too much to drink because it leads to more. But basically, if you're in that situation and that woman gets pregnant, you should do the honorable thing. You should be a father. Be honorable in your dealings with people. Be a man and own up to your mistakes. Girls, if it was your fault, then you commit to that marriage too because children need a father and a mother. Now, while the sons of Jacob had, and while Jacob had sons with Leah and her handmaid, and while he had sons with Rachel's handmaid, Joseph and his younger brother Benjamin were the only children that Yaakov had from his beloved wife, Rachel, the one that he had fallen in love with from the start, the one that he had worked 14 years to try to get as his wife. These children were his last connection to his beloved wife who had passed away on the way to Ephrat in a previous chapter that we had read. And all that remained now of Rachel's relationship with Yaakov was the two sons that she had, Joseph and Benjamin, or Benjamin, as we would say, Beatrice or in Hebrew. So Yaakov had a, spe a special place in his heart for his son, Yosef. And all of his other sons noticed it. They didn't like it. Oh, they didn't like it at all when Joseph became their father's favorite. And now we read on from verse 5. It says, Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. And so he said to them, Please hear this dream which I dreamed. There we were, binding our sheaves in the field, the sheaves where you'd wrap up that corn and everything and all these uh, things in the field, and you'd wrap it up in, and then in these long type wrappers from this, from like corn husks and other things. And behold, my sheave, he says, arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your, your sheaves also stood up all around and then bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for these words that he spoke. And then in verse 9 it says, Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I've dreamed another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars bowed down to me. 
Verse 10 says, So he told that to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him this time and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to you, bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in his mind. He, he thought about it. His father had heard the Lord speak before, and he knew that God worked in different ways, in strange ways, and that this might be from the Lord. So even though he rebuked little Joseph, he kept it in his mind. Now we see in these verses, all the way through verse 11, we see that God has given Joseph some visions in the form of his dreams. And we don't know if God had given the visions for the purpose of only letting Joseph know his plans or if God had intended for Joseph to share his visions with others. At any rate, Joseph now has shared these visions or his dreams with his brothers. You see, sometimes God gives us visions that are supposed to remain in our own hearts and not be shared with others. And then sometimes there's messages that God gives to us that he intends for us to share with others. In the case of Joseph's dreams, we simply don't know if they were to be shared with others or not. But Joseph did share them. And it would be normal for a young man to be excited about something that God had shown him. And it would be normal for him to want to tell others. He's 17. We do a lot of strange stuff at 17. Maybe that's just me. I did strange stuff at 17. You just ask my family. Ask my sisters, my mother. Oh, better not ask them. It's really embarrassing for me. I was a terrible child. And as I was raising two daughters, my greatest fear in raising them was that one day they would grow up and find someone half as bad as I was at 17, 18, 19, 20 years of age. Now, the problem is Joseph's brothers didn't know the meaning or the purpose of these dreams that he said. All they knew is that they were not exalted and somehow Joseph was and they were bowing down to him. They didn't realize it was because Joseph was going to be in a position of authority on down the road and that he would be able to save them from famine and starvation and perishing because of his position. They just thought that it was a thing where Joseph thought he was the most important one and that they would all someday bow down to him. So they were jealous. They were angry with him. And now we're going to see what that anger led them to do in verse 12. It says, Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Remember Shechem? The place where Levi and Shimon had killed all the men in Shechem because of the raping of their sister Dinah. And so it was a terrible place, and it's horrible to imagine them going back to Shechem. But sometimes in our fallen state, we go back to the sin that we have. And we go back to the place where we sinned, and we sin some more, and we, we're not wise enough to stay away from that sin. And we see that his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. They didn't move those flocks out of there, apparently when Yaakov went home. There was a lot of pasture there. But you might have everything all nice and green grass and all this wealth and riches that are available to you at this one location, but just like Lot pitching his tent close to Sodom and then later even coming in and living in Sodom, and then that wicked place was destroyed by the Lord. If you're looking just for material gain, that's the wrong reason to be there. 
you need to ask God, Father, where do you want me to be? Because that's where I know I'll be safe. But they went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. Then verse 13 says, And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. And then he said to him, Jacob said to Joseph, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks. See if everything's going well. See if everything's good with your brothers, if they're safe, secure, and see if everything is okay with the flocks that they're taking care of. And bring back word to me and tell me how everything's are going. So, so he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. And it says in verse 15, Now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So Joseph said in verse 16, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they're feeding their flocks. And the man said, They've departed from here. They've left from here. And I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. Now Dothan, remember we don't have the TH sound in Hebrew. So we say instead of a Dothan, we say Dothan. And let's go to Dothan. So Yosef went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now let's talk about those verses. Joseph wasn't some tattletale or a person who tells other people what they're doing and, and saying, but he does respect and honor his father. And his father had asked him to go and find out what his brothers were doing after all and, and to see if he could help them. Those are two important things. His father asked them to go and find out what they're doing, how they're doing, really, and then to see if he could help them. Find out how they're doing, then see if you can help them. And his father said these things. Now, in these events, Joseph seems to be doing some of the same things that the Messiah would one day come and do. For instance, the Messiah would do what the Father asked him to do. And then secondly, the Messiah would find out what the others are doing. He would see firsthand the condition of mankind. And then thirdly, he would be sent to help the others, in this case, to provide salvation for their sins and forgiveness of their sins so that they could be restored to the kingdom of God and everlasting life. But even though Joseph was sent to help his brothers, his brothers turned on him, and they planned together to kill him and to get rid of him. Let's read it. It says in verse 18 through 28 now, as we go on through this chapter, it says in verse 18, Now when they saw him from afar, even before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And then look at verse 19 here. It says, Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit, and we shall say that some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what becomes of his dreams, they said. But then look at what verse 21 now says. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let's not kill him. Verse 22, And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into the pit which is in the wilderness. Don't lay a hand on him. And he was doing this because he was the oldest son. He wanted to deliver this Joseph, his brother, out of the hands of these other brothers and bring him back safely to his father. 
then in verse 23, it continues on. It says, So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic. Remember that multicolored special coat that his father had made him in. That tunic multicolored. It was hard to find colors in those days. You didn't have fabric dye, and it required certain types of flowers and certain types of things that you would mix together to get these colors, and it was hard to get anything made in colors that were of clothing and everything. But his father had made this special tunic for Joseph. Well, they stripped Joseph of that tunic, it says in verse 23, the tunic of many colors that was on him. And then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. In other words, there was no water in it. That was a rough situation. And then they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted up their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites, descendants of Ishmael, uh, the, the other child of Abraham, their grandfather, you see. And the other child had come through that relationship with Hagar. But God had told Abraham, no, my seed, my promises for you is going to be through your son Yitzchak, their grandfather Yitzchak. Yaakov was their father. Yaakov's father was Yitzchak, the son of Abraham. So now these brothers look up and they see a group of Ishmaelites company, a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spice, balm, myrrh, and on their way to carry them down to Egypt to sell and to uh, get a profit from their selling them into Egypt because Egypt had a good economy, you see. And then verse 26, we read, So Judah said to his brothers, he was one of the eleven, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Verse 27, he says, Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Don't just kill him. You won't make any money by killing him. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and let, our, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh. And his brothers listened, and then the Midianite traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Now we want to look at this. Isn't it strange that here's all the brothers who are, I guess the modern word that we would say is, they're triggered when the subject of Joseph comes up. They're triggered and they don't like anything about Joseph. And Judah is, you know, I mean, the Messiah is going to come from the tribe of Judah. He's supposed to be a man of honor. And yet look at what he says. Let's not kill him. We can't make any money. Let's sell him instead. And then he says, after all, he is our brother. <laughs> oh, come on, Judah. After all, he is our brother, so don't kill him. We'll sell him instead because we love him. He's our brother. We'll just sell him. That doesn't make sense, does it? His brothers listened, and then they pulled him up out of the pit and they sold him. Now, out of all their triggered responses and anger toward their brother Yosef, they're all talking about these things. They're angry, angry, angry. We never hear a word of anger out of Joseph. Isn't that interesting? We never hear a word or a crying out or anything out of Joseph. It's just that he goes along with it. It's almost like Joseph knew after those dreams that somehow God was in this. Somehow God would protect him in this situation he had come to, and that somehow God was using these circumstances to direct him in life. 
he considered that his life was protected and directed by God. There's a lot of freedom when you know that, when you understand those things, that your life, after you give it to the Lord, is watched over by the Lord. That the Lord will protect you and that the Lord will direct you. Now here we see that, just as the Bible says, the heart of man is wicked. The heart of man is wicked. Left to its own, it will always do wicked and sinful things. You need God to help you out of that, you see. And He will if you give your life to Him. But if you try going through life on your own, just living what you think is right and everything, you're not going to make it. Your heart's going to deceive you all the time. It's going to lead you down a path that's going to lead to destruction and sorrow and heartache, heartbreak. Here we see the leaders of the tribes of Israel, for instance. The tribes of Israel, the leaders, conspiring out of anger and jealousy to get rid of their brother. And yet these are the leaders that the Bible will later talk about and that we will later hold in high honor because of their position in God's chosen people as the heads over the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's good news. It shows that God can use people who aren't perfect. God doesn't need to have you perfect to use you. Look at these guys he used. Look at these guys he honored and elevated later on and they're selling their brother into slavery and they're angry with him. They wanted to murder him and now they figure, well, at least they'll make some money from him by selling him to these slave traders. It's good news because it shows that if God can use them, he can use us too, you see. And it also shows that these are some of the people in the lineage of the Mashiach, the Messiah, the most famous Jewish man who was to ever live, Yeshua HaMashiach, the man whose life split time itself into two parts, the man who affected civilization of mankind on earth more than any man who ever lived, the most famous Jew who ever lived, who is the most famous Jew who ever lived. And if God can use these people in his lineage, then he can use us, you see. We're not perfect, and God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He just wants us to be available and believe in what he's doing, and then he'll take care of the rest. And that's certainly good news for you and I, isn't it? I'm certainly not perfect. I got problems. If you were to ask people, Hey, do you know if Pastor Stephen Apple has any problems? They would line up for miles and miles and miles, and the line would just go on and on forever, and they'd list all the things that they had seen me do wrong in life. I admit, I'm not perfect. Do you admit you're not perfect? <laughs> One time I, I asked a congregation of people, you know, we read the last verse of Matthew 5, in the last verse of Matthew 5, by Brita Kadeshah in the New Testament, it says, Jesus said, you are therefore to be perfect, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I took a moment and I said to the congregation, anyone here that's perfect, just raise your hand. And I had one person back at the back raise their hand. They were looking down at something, probably their phone or something. And I go, oh, look, we got one. You know, <laughs> Let's get some counsel from them how we can be perfect. They didn't understand what I said. They just raised their hand. Everybody knows that we're not perfect. Everybody admits that we have problems. So it's good news for us that God is forgiving, that God wants to bring us into his kingdom, and he provides a way for us to be forgiven through his Mashiach, Yeshua, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. 
I have problems the same as we all do, but you give them to God and he'll take care of you. He'll protect you and he'll direct you. Yet here we see that God can still use us, even with all our faults. He's merciful and he's forgiving. Then we read on in verse 29 to the end of the chapter now. It says, Then Reuben returned to the pit. And indeed, Joseph was not in the pit. He must have been gone when the guys pulled him out of the pit, gave him to these Ishmaelite traders who were on their way down to Egypt. Reuben thought that they had a deal. Just put him in the pit and that he'll be okay. Well, they took Reuben's advice, but Reuben was gone at the time and, and they sold him away and now he's gone. And so verse 30, it says, Reuben returned to his brothers and said, the lad is no more. Where is he? And where shall I go? What he was saying was, what am I going to tell my father? I'm the oldest among his sons. What am I going to tell my father? I was supposed to be in charge. I was supposed to be protecting the whole group of the guys here. And now I've lost his favorite son, Joseph. And so then they came up with a lie. Verse 31 says, so they took Joseph's tunic they killed a kit of the goats, a kit of the goats is a young goat, and dipped the tunic in the blood. And then they sent the tunic of many colors with the blood on it, and they brought it to their father and said, We found this. Do you know whether this is your son's tunic or not? And Yaakov recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Yosef is torn into pieces. Then Yaakov tore his own clothes in grief and put sackcloth on his waist and mourned for his son many, many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I will go down to my grave, to my son in mourning. Thus my father, thus his father wept for him. Verse 36, the last verse in the chapter says, Now the Midianites, the ones who had taken Joseph, had sold him in Egypt to somebody named Potiphar. And Potiphar was an officer of Paro. That's how we say Pharaoh, B of three. Paro, and captain of the guard. Now, we look at these verses that we just read in this chapter today. And we see that Joseph is gone. It seems like. Never to be seen again, you would think. But then we see later in the scriptures that he's not gone. God's hiding him away, protecting him and keeping him ready and at the right place for the right time to be revealed so that he will help the king of Egypt and be promoted to second in command in the most powerful nation on earth at that time. What is happening? God is protecting him and he's keeping him. God is watching over Joseph. He's protecting Joseph from being killed by his brothers. He's protecting Joseph from being in that situation or around them. And he takes, him, takes Joseph out of there and brings him down to Egypt. And he's going to be living a new life where he knows nobody. All of his family he can't see anymore, anything. He's going to be in prisons later and all these different things. And all along, Joseph is not going to know what God is doing until the very end of this story. Would you be patient as God is bringing you through trials like that in life? Or would you just think, well, God's abandoned me. He no longer loves me. 
He's not watching over me anymore. I must have done something that made him really angry. And now God just doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Would you think that? Or would you just sit back and you say, you know what? The Bible tells me that God is protecting me and that God is directing me. The Bible tells me that even the evil that comes at me, God will turn it around and make it work for the good for me. Would you rest in the fact that God is watching over you day by day, night by night, even though you don't hear Him, even though you don't see Him, even though all you have is the promises that He is good and that His mercy endures forever and that He's all-powerful and that He loves you and that He made you in His image, would you rest in knowing who God is when all the circumstances around you seem to point to the fact that He's left you, that He's forsaken you. But our God in His Word says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. Now you see, God is for us. He's not against us. And anyone who comes against us, they have to deal with God. And God will intercept that threat. He'll intercept that evil. And He'll turn it back around. And he'll turn it into a blessing for us somehow. They can't even cause us harm. The enemy can't cause us harm because God takes what they try to do and God works it out to something better. You may still go through a trial, but on the other side of that trial, you're going to come out better than you were before. That's the grace of God. That's the promise of God. That's the mercy of God to all who know Him through His Son, Yeshua HaMashiach. That's the goodness of God. And what a remarkable story that is. And we'll be seeing the perfect wisdom of God in this plan that he has to save not only Joseph's brother, but also not only Joseph's brothers, but also all of their households as well. It's a story that you'll never forget. It's a story that tells about the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God to protect you and direct you in life. Is your life in God's hands? Are you his child? Have you given Him all of your cares and worries so that He can protect and direct you? You can give it all to Him. You can trust in Him and rest in Him, knowing that in Him and Him alone, you are protected and directed. Now, why don't you give your life to the Lord today, right now? You know, if you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry and He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from all that darkness you're in, those trials that you're facing. He'll shine His light on your heart, be given, and you'll be given new, newness of life. He'll change you into a new person and throw all those past failures away. You'll be made into a completely new person, given a new start, and He'll give you everlasting life in heaven, and that's guaranteed by God Himself. Now, we want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and the Lord and to receive God's peace in your life today. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. You could pray something like this. In fact, you can even repeat it after me. Just, just say something like, God, I do want to know you and have real peace in life. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins, and I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I'll tell you something. God heard you.
and He's already started working in your life, a little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. And over time, like seeds are, you won't see them at first, but over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that God's making in your life. That little seed comes above the ground, and for the first time, you see that little green sprout coming up. God is going to make that kind of a change in your life, and it's going to grow into something wonderful. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about God every day in His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life.